And I told Brother Flynn, I said, I can't remember the last time I had so much fun in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I started two weeks ago uh, just talking about this matter of the love chapter, which we oftentimes call it that. I just got to thinking about February, and uh, a lot of people focus on this chapter, and many times uh, they have the wrong focus, but uh, the first uh, time we, we looked at this, we covered the first three verses, and then last week we covered verses 4, 5, and 6. So tonight we're going we're gonna to go back to verse 6, and we're going to go from verse 6 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 13. And so let's take a look here tonight, beginning in verse number 6. It says, rejoiceth, now remember this is all about charity and this matter of love, all right? So verse 6, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Charity. Now, as we get back into this study tonight, again, that verse, verse 13 says, now there abideth faith, hope, charity. Notice, notice what the Bible says, and now. It doesn't say in the future. It says, and now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these, all right? And if, I, if you remember when we started this, I, I was trying to help you understand in that first week, in those first three verses, that we have to understand that where God places the emphasis, that's where we need to place an emphasis. And that truly when you look at this, you understand as the Apostle Paul continues here in this chapter, this discourse, this explanation about charity. Now, I told you last week or the week before that charity sometimes, 27 times, was used by the King James translators. Now you say, were they wrong in using the word charity instead of the word love? Remember I told you that it is, it is something that it takes place vertically when it's this matter of love between us and another brother or sister in Christ. If it is, if look here, if it's horizontal, or if it's vertical, if it's between us and God, then understand it's the word love, oftentimes translated. But when it's between us and someone else, it is this matter of charity. And that's why the translators use this word charity, and you can clearly see this in the Word of God. Now, many times we think about this matter of chapter 13 and what's it really all about, but it begins as we get into the chapter, by the time you get to the end of it, it starts talking about 
things that are going to end. Now remember that Paul's writing God's words. These aren't his words. And, and clearly we see that many things, according to this chapter, will end. But according to what the Lord is saying, the one thing that will not end is charity. Charity never faileth. That's what the Bible says here. And so when we look at this, I want you to see a couple of aspects here tonight. And look how we'll begin tonight with love's stamina. Love's stamina. Uh, I, I've been watching here and there. You know, it's, uh, I, you know I'm not, I haven't spent a lot of time, but just about every night I'll sit down for a little while and try to watch some of the Olympics. I just, a lot of times I like to, I like to hear the stories behind the athletes and, and how they got to where they're at. And uh, I watched this one the other night about this gal that, I mean, she has just had broken everything and here she is still skiing down, down, downhill 80-some, 90-some miles an hour. And people right before her, as it was, she was getting ready to go down, wiped out on the, on the thing. And the stamina that these people have to do that. And I think to myself, when I think about the love that God has for us and the love that we should have for one another, all right, there's some things that help us here. And I want you to see the first one is is this matter of love's focus, love's focus. If you go back to verse number six, look what it says in the end of the verse there. It says, uh, love, charity, rejoiceth in the truth. Now, before I go any further, I want to make a little comment here. A lot of times people want to use different versions of the Bible and, I, and a lot of times I don't put people down. Our church is a King James version of the Bible church. We believe that, that God's word is preserved in the King James uh, uh, version of the Bible. And, and I know we've got a lot of folks that use different versions of the Bible. Listen, that's not my job to tell somebody what version of the Bible to use. That's the Holy Spirit's work. But I find that I love the King James version because I believe that it is accurate when they translated it. One of the reasons that I like that is this chapter is a great proof of that where you see all of these words with the E-T-H on the end of it. You, you see that, rejoiceth, beareth. See all those words there. Now, a lot of times I hear people say, well, I just can't understand that. That's too archaic. Listen, let me help you understand why they translated those words with those E-T-H's on it. Here's why. Because those are action words. They're verbs. And when you see that on the end of a verb, here's what it means. It is a continual, ongoing action. It is something that continues. It's not something that happened at a point in time. There are verbs in the Bible. How about this? When you got saved, okay, did it happen at a point in time? Yeah, do you remember when you got saved? Some people remember the place or the time or the date. I got saved January 22nd, 1984 at Bible Baptist Church, and, and I remember that just like it was yesterday. Some people remember that much information, but look, salvation is the miracle of a moment. But watch this, we are being saved. That means that God is keeping us. We call that sanctification, all right? Justification is when we were justified by the Holy Spirit of God, sanctification is a continual ongoing process. You guys with me tonight? 
This is just a Bible study, all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to put on your thinking cap tonight because there are so many great things here tonight, and I'm going to try to go through it and get done, and I apologize if I'm going to kind of rush through it, but uh, if you have some questions, uh, maybe I can answer them afterwards or something like that. But we've got to understand when it comes to love's stamina, watch this, that love is something that just continues. It's not a one-time thing. So here's the first thing I see is the focus that love rejoiceth. It continues to rejoice in the truth. See, while love might hate all forms of evil, love loves the truth. Let me say that again. Love loves the truth. It's important that you and I see that love rejoices when truth is proclaimed. God, remember, God is love, right? And if God is love, then love rejoices. God rejoices when the truth is proclaimed. There's a lot of churches where the truth is never proclaimed or it's rarely given out. And love rejoices when truth is proclaimed and when truth wins the victory. Love is glad for the truth. It is, it is glad for the truth. Even, how about this? You ever had this happen? Even when the truth hurts. You ever had that happen in your life? The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? I had to apologize to a pastor today for something that I didn't even realize. You know, and, I, and, and my, you know, we were talking in the office. I just called the guy and I said, I, I, I've got no excuse. I said, I just want to call and apologize. He was very gracious. But look, I was glad to say that to him. And he said to me, he goes, Pastor, you're, you're, you're kind. And I was like, no, if I was kind, I wouldn't have done what I did. But, but here's the thing is, is that we've got to see that love rejoiceth in the truth. Look at the second thing. Not only love's focus, but Paul continues in verse 7, and he shows us love's forbearance. Now, look at the word there. He says, it beareth how many things? All things. See, love patiently endures. You know what it does? Love overlooks the fault in others. Any perfect people here? Just seeing if anybody dares to raise their hand. All right? All right? There's nobody perfect. This is not a perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor. And I've appreciated the fact that when I, as the pastor, make mistakes, that there are people in this church that are willing to overlook those faults. See, the word beareth, Here's what it means, to cover or to protect. It, 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 you can use it in this sense. It means to put a roof over. That's what love looks like. Uh, love protects. It, 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 will, it will cover something. Instead of parading the failures and faults of others before the world, watch this, love covers them. And it continues to love someone in spite of those things. Boy, you talk about a great example. How about Jesus? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't say to us, hey, listen, when you get your act together, when you get things, when, when, when you're right with God, then I will save you. No, love's forbearance. Uh, Peter's testimony, look what he writes here. Above all things, notice, above all, all things. Boy, 
Peter understood some things in his life, did he not? Peter made some mistakes. Uh, Peter had some regrets. But the Bible says, as he writes here, above all things, have fervent, what? Charity among yourselves. There's that word. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. I, I, I was putting up some baseboard at my house. Praise the Lord for caulk. Some of you never put up base, I can tell. But there's not many straight walls. You know, my father-in-law's, I got some round corner bead in my house, and my father-in-law goes, now, what are you going to do when, you know, you, got, you just got flat base? What are you going to do on those round things? And I said, that's easy. I'm just going to, I'm going to put it on there, and I'm going to caulk around that round stuff there. You know, and, and that's, that's just the way you do it. Look, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. True story, a true illustration of this, during the reign of Oliver Cromwell, there was a soldier that had been sentenced to die, and his fiancée pleaded with Cromwell to spare his life, but the great ruler refused to spare his life. The young soldier was uh, to be executed when the curfew bell sounded, but when the bell ringer pulled the rope, there was no sound. The girl, the fiancé, had climbed into the bell tower and had wrapped her body around the clapper, preventing the bell from sounding. Although she was battered and her body bruised and smashed, she somehow managed to climb down, and when she stood before Cromwell and told him what she had done, he immediately commuted the sentence of the soldier. Love beareth all things. It covers all things. You see, Paul is helping us understand the focus of love is that it rejoiceth in the truth. The forbearance of love is it beareth all things. Look at the third one, love's faith. Look at the words it says here in verse 7, love believeth all things. You know, think about how many times we're like, well, yeah, okay, well, whatever. Right? Doesn't sound to me like we believe all things, but love believeth all things. Now, that doesn't mean that love blindly accepts everything. What it means is love is always ready to believe the best. That's what true love is. It's ready to believe the best. Love always places the best possible interpretation on everything that happens. Love does not always seek a negative answer. It believes that the good will triumph in any situation. Is that the way you look at love? Is that the way you love? Somebody said, love trusts, love believes, and love has confidence in the one that is loved. That's what love's faith is. Love believeth all things. Look at the next one in verse number seven, love's future. Look at the word, hopeth all things. We talked a lot about hope in this last year. Look, love always expects the best possible outcome. Love refuses. It refuses to accept failure. Love always holds out hope that things will work out right in the end. Remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew 18, 22? Look at it. 
he said there, uh, how often should I forgive someone? And he says, until seven times. And Jesus said, until 70 times seven. In other words, you just go on forgiving. Expect the best possible outcome. So, uh, Listen, hope is born and it is bred in the believer by the Holy Spirit of God. Many of us, myself included, we have lost loved ones. We have maybe a loved one that's backslidden. But you know what love does or does not? Love does not give up on them. Love continues to pray for them. Love continues to believe. Folks, look, I can't change them, and you can't either. But God's love can The love of God can get through to them. Love believes that the day will come when they will come to God and things will be made right. Love does not give up. I've heard testimonies, true testimonies, of wives praying for their wayward husbands for years, 30, 40 years, and and they got saved. I mentioned earlier the story of the prodigal son. See, the future belongs to God and God is love, so hope which deals in the future, looks at God, and it sings. It looks at God and sings. See, love's future. Love hopeth all things. Letter E, look at this, love's fortitude. Love's fortitude. The the Bible says in verse 7 again, love endureth all things. Now, this word endureth is a great word here. It's actually, for some of you guys, it's a military term. And it means that love does not give up the fort. It doesn't give up the fort. It, it, it means to remain, listen to this, under the load. That, that's the hard part for many of us. But you just don't know what I've been through. You just don't know what I, how, how, how hard it's been for me. But see, love, true biblical love between one another, charity, doesn't give up. It holds the fort. I love this song. Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Hold the fort. Stay where you're at, because love endureth all things. It stands its ground. It continues in spite of everything that can be thrown against it. How many marriages have been dashed against the rocks because those marriages did not endure, listen, all things? Love continues in spite of persecution. It continues in spite of ill treatment. That happens at times. Love bears the unbearable. It believes the impossible. It holds on to the incredible and never gives up. In other words, the word stop doesn't exist in the vocabulary of love. You know, you think about when you, maybe you stood at an altar, wherever you stood with your spouse, and you said these words, till death do us part. The, you know, a lot of folks throw around the word divorce. That shouldn't even be a part of your vocabulary. If there's true charity between you, then that word stop should never be there. Letter F, look at this one. When we get to verse 8, loves fidelity. Loves fidelity. Charity never Faileth when everything else in this world has passed away and everything that is is been by us been held in such high esteem is gone and when knowledge and gifts no longer matter guess what's still there love love still exists 
It's the greatest constant throughout eternity is this matter of love. While it may, you know, from time to time, love may lose a battle here and there, love has already won the war. Love's not about success. Here's what it's about, endurance. Endurance. When other things have been removed from view, there will still be love. Love doesn't give in. It doesn't give up and it doesn't give out. Love continues. It never fails. It is, listen, love is, that is real, is love that lasts. Now, I want you to look back in chapter number 13. Let me illustrate because as we've gone through so far tonight, okay, and even in the last week or two, if you were here, maybe you were not here, we, we, we waded into this chapter, especially in those first six verses, and he begins to talk about charity, this matter of love between us. Now, really, I find that as I studied this out, the description that he is giving here about love in chapter 13, remember, we set the stage that love is God, that God is love. So when you look at this chapter, it, I believe, and, and again, you could differ with me, but I believe it is really describing the Lord Jesus Christ. I think when you look at the whole picture, really we've got a good description of our Lord and Savior. Now, I want you to put your eyes on these verses, and I'm not going to do a disjustice to the Word of God, but here's what I'm going to do as you look at it. I'm going to substitute the word Christ for the word charity. Everybody understand what I just said? I'm going to substitute the word Christ for the word charity, all right? So let's read, beginning in verse number one. You read along, and I'll read it out loud. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not Christ, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mount, remove mountains and have not Christ, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not Christ, it profiteth me nothing. Christ suffered long and is kind. Christ envied not. Christ vaunteth not himself. He was not puffed up. He did not behave himself unseemly. He sought not his own. He was not provoked. He thought no evil. He rejoiced not in iniquity, but rejoiced in the truth. He bore all things. He believed all things. He hoped all things. He endured all things. Christ never failed. Look at verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and Christ. These three. But the greatest of these is what? Christ. Christ. Do you get it? Are you starting to see what this chapter is all about in the Word of God? What a Savior that we have that, you, you know what, look here, Paul's writing, but you know what he's really trying to help us understand? Is he's trying to help us to be more like Jesus, because God is love. What a great description 
of Jesus. Hey, when I think of stamina, I can't think of any better example than our Lord and Savior. Now, how about this? Look at the second one tonight. Not only loves stamina, but loves stability. Because love outlasts everything. Now, we get to verse number 8 through verse number 13. This is a portion of this chapter that many, many times by a lot of people is misunderstood. And I'm going to do the best I can with the Lord's help tonight, not to muddy the waters, but hopefully clear up some things or maybe just uh, help to, to, to just shed some light on some things. But here's what I want you to see in these verses is that according to what God has given to us through the Apostle Paul, love is greater than any gift that we could have. There's no greater gift than love. And listen, especially that which is temporary. I mean, folks, look, remember, charity never faileth. Love will, God's love will always be here. But some of these things that Paul is mentioning, remember, he's writing to Christians. God is trying to help the church in Corinth that is struggling because they're making more out of temporary things that are going to cease when they need to be paying attention to that which is always going to be there. Okay, now watch this. Because according to the Word of God, charity will never be driven out. Look at the first thing I see tonight. He mentions as he talks about love stability, that which is passing. All right? That which is passing. Okay, in other words, that which is temporary. Paul gives a, listen, a definite expectation here. All right. Now, again, this isn't Paul's words, but here's what he does. Paul mentions three gifts, and these three gifts that he mentions, he says they're going to come to an end. All right. Look, at, look with me tonight. I want you to see this, because as we look at these three gifts in verse number eight, here's, I want to I say a little bit before uh, we get into this. All right. The language that God used as, he, as God gave us the New Testament of our Bible was a, called the Greek language, all right? Now, you don't need to know Greek to know the Word of God, but there are certain things that I believe are helpful to us to understand. One of those aspects is called, in that language, was called voice. Now, when we think of voice, you're thinking about me speaking out loud right now, but that's not what voice is. It's dealing in this language that God used. I didn't use. God used this language. When it came to verbs in this language, there was something, and there's many different aspects. This is just one of them, is this matter of voice. There's three voices that were contained in this language. The first one is called the active voice. Okay, The active voice is where the subject is doing the action. Okay, because verbs are action words, right? Some of you are like, I didn't do well in English, all right? I'll bring you up to speed, okay? But watch this. Here, here's an example. Pastor is teaching the Bible. The subject is doing the action. You with me so far? Okay, that's the active voice. The second one is called passive voice. Now, passive voice is different than active. Now, again, we have such an English mindset. Many of us, when we think of the word passive, it's totally different than it's described with this part of speech. Here's what passive is. Active voice is the subject is doing the action. Passive is 
the subject is being acted upon. Okay, in other words, I'm not doing the action. Someone is doing the action to me. A great example of this in the Bible is, and we'll see if you're awake tonight, did you save yourself? Come on, speak to me. No, who saved you? Yeah, you got the Lord saved you, right? So, so when you see salvation, which it can be a noun in the Bible, it can be a verb in the Bible, right? Okay? So when you see salvation being saved, it would be in the passive voice. Now, again, a lot of people, they believe in a works-based salvation. So if they study the Word of God, guess what? They're going to find that no matter what they do, they can't save themselves because if they studied out the verb, they would find that it was God, watch this, God doing the action on us. Isn't that good? If that's the only thing I said tonight, that would be phenomenal, all right? That God saved us. Now watch, we have the active voice, subject is doing the action. We have the passive voice where the subject is being acted upon, okay? But there's a third voice, and it's the one that goes right between the other two. It's called the middle voice. Now, when I taught this language for many years, it was oftentimes hard for the students, and it was really sometimes hard for me as a teacher, instructor, to, to get convey the meaning to this middle voice. And here's the definition of it. It's the subject acting with reference to himself. Okay, now right now you're like, I don't know if I understand that. Just keep that in mind because in a minute I'm going to show you that all three, all three of the verbs used in verse 8 are all in the middle voice. And guess who the subject was that was acting in reference to himself? Was it Paul? Was it the Corinthians? Or was it God? It was God. So now watch this. When the Bible talks about these things that were going to end, who's the one that started them? God did. Who's the one that finished them? God. So people today that still believe that these gifts that were temporary that we're going to come to an end, they still believe these exist, they don't understand the Word of God. And again, you don't need to know the Greek to understand that these gifts were temporary. They came to an end. Are you with me tonight? Am I, am I speaking Bible, yes or no? Okay, now watch. I'm going to show you because go to, go to verse number 8. Look what it says here as we look at verse number 8. The Bible says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be, what? Prophecies, they shall what? Fail. Now, whose word is this? God's, right? So prophecies, notice the word, shall fail. All right, look at the next one. Whether there be, what? Tongues. They shall what? Cease. Whether there be, what? Knowledge. It shall vanish away. For we know, look at the words, in part... And we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, what does all this mean? Okay, here's the first one. When he talks about 
things coming to an end. The first one that he, he, he gives here is prophecies. He says that they shall fail. The word fail means to reduce to inactivity. It means to become entirely idle and useless. Now again, remember, God is the one that caused the prophecies to cease. I'm really trying hard not to get ahead of myself, but again, I guess I'm going to have to say a little bit here. You have to understand, when Paul was writing this, was the Bible as you hold it tonight, was it complete? No. No. It didn't have the entire canon of scriptures. There was not the 66 books of the Bible. So would you say that the Bible was in part? Yeah. God hadn't finished it, okay? So he says, look here, but there are, there's going to come a time when those prophecies... And remember, prophecy comes from God. No prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation, all right? God's given us his word. Anything outside the confines of that book is not of God, all right? You can like it, lump it. That's just the truth right there, all right? Understand, God's given us his word, and what we need to do is read and memorize and study what he's given to us And when we've done that, listen, we'll be on the right road. But he says here, first of all, that the prophecies shall fail. Now look at the second word. I want you to drop down. He says there that that this matter of knowledge, all right? In verse number eight, I want to skip over that word tongues there for just a second. He He says, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, the same verb that was used, ego, that was used with this matter of prophecies is the exact same word that he uses for knowledge. And so what he's saying is there's going to come an end to this matter of knowledge. Knowledge is, and get a hold of this because we think to ourselves sometimes because, again, we're just thinking of the word knowledge. We think, does that mean that we can never learn anything? Does that mean that that knowledge is complete. There, there's nothing else for us to learn. You're missing the word here because this particular word here is not knowledge that can be acquired by learning. It is that which is supernaturally imparted by God's Holy Spirit. Understand that the Holy Spirit of God was helping the apostles to understand that's the knowledge that God was given to them. That was a temporary gift that God gave to them. Now go back to the word tongues, all right? He uses a different word with the word tongues, okay? In verse number eight, he says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Now the word tongues is the word glossa. We, our English word is glossary. A lot of times, especially nowadays, people think that the word tongues is talking about some type of a gibberish. In other words, some heavenly language. But understand that in the confines of the Word of God, it's describing a known language. You study Acts chapter 2, and what you find is on the day of Pentecost, Peter, who was a fisherman, stood and preached the Word of God, and there were 16 nationalities present there that day that each one of them heard God's Word in their own language language. 
Now look, if I was Hispanic and I spoke Spanish, that's not, that is a tongue, that's a language. But when it comes to this matter of tongues, it is actually talking about the, the opportunity for someone to speak a foreign language foreign to them without any formal training. Wouldn't that be awesome if you walked out here and started speaking Chinese, you know? But that's what it's talking about. And he says here that this matter of supernatural ability to speak a language that they did not know, he says that it shall cease. Now, that particular word there means it's going to stop, it's going to quit, it's going to come to an end. So he's saying, look, Paul was trying to instruct the Corinthian believers. Now, look, I'm trying to keep the connection here. What's this chapter about? Love. Do you remember the children of Israel in the Old Testament? Remember what happened with the Ark of the Covenant or the brazen serpent? You remember how it became like an article that they began to worship? And they started making more out of the brazen serpent than they did about the God that that brazen serpent represented. They started making more out of the Ark of the Covenant than the God of the Ark that dwell between the cherubims. And listen, exactly the same thing is going on here. The, 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 the believers in Corinth, and like so many today, are getting hung up with these temporary gifts. Now again, where did these gifts come from? God. And if God says, listen, you are pu you're putting way too much emphasis on something that is temporary, something that's going to cease. I gave you those. Why did God do that? Well, think about the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved because Peter spoke the word of God and all those people heard in their own language. And it says right there in Acts 2, the wonderful works of God. They didn't hear some gibberish. They heard God's word. Now, God gave this. Now, again, staying in the confines of this matter of the love of God here and this matter of charity, let's move on because we're talking here about these supernatural gifts. So Paul gives a definitive expectation. In other words, look here, these things were given by God, middle voice, and they're going to come to an end. But notice the next thing he gives is he gives a definitive explanation. He starts with, a word of illumination. He talks, look at verse number nine. We know in part. We prophesy in part. He's talking about partial knowledge. Again, the early church only had part of the word of God. You Look here, you know how much, how much you are uh, liable for when it comes to the word of God? All of it. Because you have it all. You can't, look, you cannot stand before the Lord one day and claim ignorance. Ignorance means you have no knowledge of it. If you go before the Lord, you can't claim ignorance. The only thing you can claim is rebellion. Because God's given you his word and every one of us is responsible for what God has given to us. So Paul talks about this, this problem of partial knowledge that they didn't have all of the word of God. But notice he gives a problem a, a, a promise of, per, of perfect knowledge. Look at verse number 10. He says, yeah, it's in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part 
shall be done away. Now, again, this is another one of those portions where people differ on what is that which is perfect. Some people say this is making a reference to the second coming of Christ. I beg to differ. If you stay in the context, and that's what we need to do when we study the Word of God, it's talking about the Word of God. It's talking about when, when the canon of Scripture, when God has given all of His Word, when that which is perfect is come, watch this, then that which is in part. What was in part? Tongues, knowledge, prophecy. He said those things were given until God's Word. Now remember, who is the Word? Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, there, there was a fuller revelation. God was going to give all of his word. And so he, he gives this matter of the total revelation of truth. And he talks about how the, the, the word of God would then replace that which is temporary. And with the completion of the New Testament, in other words, now the entire Bible, they would no longer need these temporary sign gifts. The apostles, listen, they lived out the ministry, the testimony that God gave to them and the New Testament canon was then completed, and it was closed. God has given us all of his word, and listen, what we're looking at, what we're holding in our hands tonight, is that which is perfect. It's God's word. There's no mistakes in here. God's made sure that we have everything that we need. So he gives, look at this, a word of illumination, but watch, he follows it with a word of illustration. And I love how God, a lot of times, will show us something. He'll illustrate it. Look at verse number 11. Here's his illustration. Have you ever thought to yourself why he puts this, these two verses in here? He's talking about love. Then he talks about that which is going to be done away with. And look at verse 11. When I was a child. What? All of a sudden, he just kind of shifts gears. When I was a child, I understood as, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. Now what is he talking about? He's talking about a childish stage of things. In other words, watch this. Speech arises out of understanding. You ever try to talk to a little kid? <laughs> Some interesting conversations sometimes. Speech arises out of understanding, but watch this, understanding then comes out of our thoughts. Look back at what he says here. When I was a child, I spake as a child. When I was a child, I understood as a child. When I was a child, I thought as a child. Now, you remember those three temporary gifts? What's the first one? Prophecy. What's the second one? Tongues. The third one is knowledge. Now look at, he says, I spake as a child, tongues. Spake as a child. He says, I understood as a child, knowledge. He says, I thought as a child, prophecy. See, isn't it interesting how he, in the end of the chapter, he takes those three temporary things that were in part, that were going to be done away with, and he uses this illustration of a child. That when I was a child, I spake gaga goo goo, you know? That's how children speak. And he says, I, I understood like a child. I began to think like a child, but he says, when I became a man. 
You know what he's talking about? Maturity. Who's he writing to here? Christians, the church. You know what the Holy Spirit's trying to do? Not only to the Corinthian church, but to us. He's trying to mature us. The Holy Spirit of God was trying to wean these believers off of these temporary things. Knowledge, prophecy, tongues. And help them to understand what was most important. And he, he begins to talk about a changed state of things. Look, we may not understand it all now. He says, right now we see through a glass darkly. We don't see it all. It's like looking through an obscure piece of glass. But it, hey, how about this? We now have all the truth. They didn't, Peter didn't have all the truth. He didn't, the canon of scriptures wasn't complete. So P, Paul is writing here, and he writes about that which is passing. But look at letter B. Then he writes about that which is permanent. Go back to verse 13, the last verse of this chapter. He says, now that he said all of that, here's what he says. And now... Now that I've said all of that, abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Charity. Now, isn't it interesting because prophecy, tongues, knowledge, these three, they shall cease. But faith, hope, and love, these three are going to abide. He says, look, what's important, what is enduring, what is endless. He says, faith looks back to Calvary and hope looks on to the coming of the Lord. And love is for now. Love is forever. Love is the greatest of all. Look, I hope you understand how very important it is for us to see that God has given us his word. And what he wants us to do is to grow up into him and understand how very important it is to have this love relationship, not only with him, but with each other. And oftentimes, we place the emphasis in places that it's not important to God. We have to place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. Charity never fails. The greatest of these is charity. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the word of God, I pray. Lord, as we've just had a short time tonight, I thank you for those that have come to your house. And I, I hope and pray that, that somehow, God, you gave me the wisdom just to share the word of God, that, that as believers that the Holy Spirit has helped us and, and helped to make an application from this chapter. Lord, how important it is to see that we don't need to make a big thing out of the things that God, you supernaturally gave during that time period when the apostles were on this earth. That what we need to see is what's important is you, that you are love. And what this world needs is it needs you. It needs to know your love. And it needs to see love between us. Lord, may there be charity between us. Lord, help us to have that attitude, that spirit. Lord, may we be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.